0: Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. Combining deep knowledge in the theory of organizational and systemic change, Along with an understanding and belief in the power of technology and investment as forces for good, with the need for practical execution, Frederick Winter, CEO of Catapult's Accelerator Group is busily working to make the next generation of technology founders and their respective companies intentional agents for change. He urges everyone to take the first step in creating something and the next step will follow. Just start and then just do it. Frederick Winter, CEO of Catapult Accelerator Group. Welcome, welcome to Rebels with a Purpose. Great to see you this morning.
1: Thank you. Happy to see you too. uh, Look forward to this.
0: Yeah. So what I'd love to do, because you have an interesting path getting here to where you are, and what I'd love to do is get a little bit of insight from you of of what your journey has been up to this point and what brought you uh, to leading the Accelerator Group.
1: Yeah, uh, it's been now almost thirty years since I finished my first educational uh, level, and uh, I guess it's a quite unusual path, also given that we do investments and run accelerator. Uh, actually, I started out with and I've always been really theoretically focused. So I started started out with really theory heavy studies in uh, philosophy and and uh, psychology and. And actually, my first attempt was to kind of understand the basics on what we can know and and understand. So I did a a lot of studies related to philosophy of science. And that also eventually brought me into discussing and analyzing a lot on why people come to understand the same world, same situation, same country, same group, or whatever. Uh, very differently, uh, and how can we be so uh, divided in the perspectives when we experience the same things, in a way, simply stated, I would say. And then, of course, I had to add uh, new layers of theories uh, on that, and that also brought me into a more practical field, uh, which was uh, conflict management and uh, organizational conflicts. And I, I did my uh, master's in that working very practically uh, offshore in the Norwegian uh, North Sea, a heavy organizational uh, conflict and also some some other conflicts, which then again brought me into management consultancy and uh, organizational change, leadership development, business development. And the data sets I got from that work, were used to get a Ph.D. actually in industrial economics and large uh, uh, system change. So that's uh, my first part, really theory heavy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And and then when I had this Ph.D. and uh, and, uh, some research experience and practical experience in large system change and future organizational development, that actually got me uh, into the position of uh, uh, leading uh, Oslo Business Region, which is a, which regional development agency. The first steps into that is uh, about ten years ago uh, now. So then uh, we saw the first elements and the contour of a startup kind of ecosystem, a term which is wasn't even invented at that time. I think at least not in Norway. So, we focused and made a strategy for Oslo Business Region to focus more or less only uh, on the startup ecosystem and to do what we could with that uh, uh, agency to to build a startup ecosystem in Norway. And uh, that also uh, brought me to a lot of other startup ecosystems around the world. And of course, many trips to Silicon Valley uh, and and other places, Uh, the role models, so to say. That again brought me closer and closer to investments, investors, startups, um, tech founders particularly, uh, the educational part of it, the media part of it, the event part of it, the co-working spaces, the accelerators, uh, the whole what we call or define as a startup ecosystem. So I've been working closely with that for for some time. And then I was privileged enough to be part of an uh, early phase tech investment setup and uh, partner up uh, on that side got some experiences from the investor side when i've done that for a couple of years i had a conversation with uh, the and uh, catapult uh, group and uh, the plans and strategies and, uh, and needs there so i worked for some time more like a consultancy on a consultancy basis on the on the side and then uh, eventually also uh, stepped up I got a position as a group uh, uh, CEO, which is where I am uh, today. So that's uh, briefly uh, my background, some of the steps, and also what brought me from a a very kind of academic, theoretical uh, position to gradually going more and more into very practical organizational uh, and leadership issues.
0: So the thing that I think is really interesting about this to me is, and it makes so much sense because you you actually have to have a deep understanding and knowledge of the theoretical, of the foundation, because that's what the system is operating on. And then to also understand all the different facets of the entire broader-based system so you can figure out, frankly, kind of be a translator, as it were, or meet the different areas where they're at. I want to go really quickly and ask about, when you were doing that theoretical work, what did you find? Why do people see things so differently?
1: That's a long story. It's <laughs> many. That's that's many PhDs. It's like a couple of thousand years also of philosophy. Of, I would say. I think you point towards the, like the, the core of being human, and that's also what I figured out. And actually. That uh, made me very afraid of ending up uh, in the theoretical uh, universe. So that's why I started to uh, work uh, with more practical, uh, organizational uh, topics quite, quite early. So. All my uh, academic studies actually made me really fearful of ending up as an academic. so <laughs> I, w- I, w- I wanted to apply the knowledge and I also wanted to build the knowledge from practice, not only on the theoretical uh, side and and actually, that's uh, maybe one of the most important insights I got from my my academic uh, career is that first and foremost, you have practical actions and uh, and uh, that's where. Experience, knowledge, and um, um, theory comes from. So, uh, yeah, simply stated. I,
0: uh, yeah, because I can imagine all of a sudden you see yourself falling deeper and <laughs> deeper, and deeper into the hole. <laughs> oh, that's scary. I so, need to
1: get out of this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, claw well, back up, moving forward, and and in these crazy times, when we realize you know so many systems are broken, right? It's going to require a lot of collaboration. It's going to It's gonna require a lot of co-creation. It's going to require a lot of merging of the minds, merging of the systems, et cetera. So what are practical steps people can take when they're looking at uh, problematic situations and they realize, okay, I need to partner with somebody. I can't do this on my own. Are there some basic, <laughs> here are three things to pay attention to that people can put into place?
1: My advice would be, Found a startup, create a startup, of course, related to a problem that you're engaged in and start working uh, on that side. One of the really beautiful things of a well-functioning startup ecosystem is that very few succeed, which also means that you can run a lot of experiments that you wouldn't be able to run within a corporation or within an institution or within even an academic uh, kind of research-oriented field. So let's say maybe three out of hundred really, really succeed, meaning that you have hundred experiments, people that are really betting their life off in their house, at least part of their career and a huge part of their time yeah. on solving some uh, uh, pressing issues or, or things that they think are important. And uh, you would never be able to make that decision. We are, let's say, corporate uh, X. Uh, we want to do innovations in this space, And uh, there's no, I think, no leadership CEO level group or board in this world that would say, yes, let's go for these hundred initiatives, even though we know only three of them will succeed. So that's the beauty of uh, well-functioning uh, startup ecosystems. So you get this totality that make that uh, uh, development possible. And another thing is when you have a lot of people uh, betting on the future through uh, their startup uh, initiatives, like we now see in, in Catapult when we screen and scout and analyze a couple of thousand startups a year, what you also then see is uh, a really kind of clear picture into what is coming what is the future bringing uh, where are people betting their uh, resources, their career and their interest interests uh, uh, on what kind of directions and what kind of new technologies what kind of new problems what kind of uh, things are, are coming so for me that is one of the best ways of trying to understand past changing times. To meet as possible many uh, startups as possible, and also to meet as many engaged founders as possible, and also kind of study the the field of tech startups uh, from a, an angle of, of just the numbers of, of of attempts that are out there. I use that as my my kind of uh, uh, crystal ball into the future.
0: Nice, uh, share that crystal ball. To that end, are there certain technologies and certain um new discoveries that you're really excited about or that that you're curious about or that scare you?
1: I think many of the major breakthrough technologies we've seen over the last 10 years, they have both the positive side of potentially solving a lot of the most pressing issues that we're dealing with Mm -hmm. uh, in the world at the moment. Uh, But I think the more naive tech optimism that we saw maybe 5 to 10 years ago has vanished over the last couple of uh, years and now we also see the dark sides so, of uh, how it can affect everything from democratic elections to yeah giving us more of like a splinter net uh, where people <laughs> are divided instead of brought together for solving problems so if you take AI, if you take uh, um, uh, the blockchain and, and the crypto world, or if you take uh, more or less any of the, the big new technological breakthroughs or developments, they, they definitely have the potential both to solve great problems, but also to create new ones. So that's very about
0: yeah so one of the things that keeps coming up, I think not not within the catapult system, and I think the catapult system is fabulous because you 've got the accelerator group to your point, which is like a sandbox, and you can do, have all these discoveries you 've got the foundation right, which educates and makes sure there's an intentionality with regards to in, impact investing and how the the founders can actually deploy their their exit funds but also their existing funds as they grow into larger businesses. How do we get people more comfortable with technology in general? There's still so much of the world who who questions, and and because of recent developments, understandably, right? But, you know, technology, friend or foe, we all see it as a great opportunity for real worldwide solutions to huge problems. Not everybody does. How can we help people get more comfortable?
1: If we should start out with a the kind of catapult perspective on this uh, I think a lot boils down to create examples, role models, and uh prove that it's true actually and From our field, which is highly uh, related to sustainability and sustainability goals and and climate in general, I think we all understand that the huge problems uh, related to that is also really really big industrial uh, kind of uh, developments that are are needed to to, to solve them and it's an unlimited number of companies that we need to create to solve these huge problems and uh, as soon as we see even more uh, good examples uh, of technology solving uh, many of the uh, pressing problems that we are facing today i think that might change uh, a little bit but yeah I think also if you go back a couple of thousand years, we have seen the same thing, same attitude approach towards technology almost since the beginning and almost since the first drawings of robots or anything that got automated.
0: It's so funny you say that. I often say that I think this next era is going to be the vindication of um, sociology and anthropology majors who are so often sort of cast aside saying that's a wasted major. And they're the ones who are really going to be, you know, lifting up and paying attention to trends and saying, "Uh uh-uh, we did this already a few thousand years and then a few hundred years and really recognizing the cycles. So to that end, what have been some of the biggest surprises That you've seen in, you know, I guess in in the, I'm trying to figure out which, which industry I, I want you to focus on, but I'm just maybe even just to focus on the sustainability piece that, you know, that catapult really takes a look at.
1: Yeah. I think we've lived with now, since the beginning of industrial time, or the uh, maybe first industrial revolution, we've got used to that we need huge corporations to solve the problems that we are facing or, or create new uh, innovations. My biggest discovery, and also which I think we just see in the start of, is that uh, innovation is, in a way, starting to move out of the framework of corporations and and into uh, a more network-based, loose ecosystem kind of framework. And that's what the startup ecosystem is like proving these days and the reason for that is it's never been more expensive to turn around an existing uh, huge company and it's never been cheaper uh, to start up uh, a new one and uh, it's never been cheaper to start up a new one based on advanced technology the technology is more accessible, and the talents uh, are more accessible, the capital is uh, uh, more accessible, and you also get all these tools that uh, makes it possible to grow a company with fewer people. So I think uh, innovation is moving from these really huge corporations with a lot of resources into uh, the ecosystems for many reasons, and I think the ones I mentioned are are, are some of them. And uh, that's the biggest shift, I would say. I think we just see the start of that, and this will continue with an uh, exponential rate going forward.
0: What are some of the examples right now that you've just recently experienced of of these new startups that can inspire other people to really take on some of these solutions and show that it does work?
1: Might sound like a cliche, but uh, we've, we've seen uh, the big ones, and also actually interestingly, the ones dealing with hardware. I know it's uh, Elon Musk and his ventures almost turned into a religion, but it's also been in- definitely been inspiring for uh, thousands of people, maybe millions even, who would have known or even believed or thought that it was possible to create a, a space uh, <laughs> SpaceX or a company dealing with uh, uh, rocket ships and making it one- into one of the most valuable companies uh, doing that from a private uh, and not a public funded side. So. Uh, if you look at the Fortune 500 list, more or less the whole top list of companies are really young companies. And what does that mean? It means uh, the big companies of today have lived for 10 to 15, maybe 20 years. And uh, just 15 to 20 years ago, uh, the, the situation was the complete uh, opposite. All of the big companies was really old companies. So that's just a signal on, on the pace of this change we are experiencing, I think.
0: What are three things that are kind of you think people should really be thinking about as they look out on the horizon? It could be everything from future work. It could be the injection of art and culture and the impact on innovation, the importance, frankly, of seed funding, of mm-hmm. impact and funding and making sure that, you know, we're really. You know, VC funding right now, everybody's funding, you know, all the the apps and the software because that's easy and it's relatively low risk. And what we need is those people to really dive in and focus on some of the more complex that, yes, are going to have, it's going to take a longer time to get the return, but they're really crucial pieces for the next block of the new system being built.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that points towards two things. If you look at the history of VC, uh, which is basically an American history, but it's now affecting uh, more or less uh, innovations all over the world, the first mechanisms there, I think it was the institution called American Research Development or something, was a fully public initiative to actually make capital available for technological innovations after the Second World War. And for many decades, it was actually driven by the public to get uh, the funding. And then eventually, it was proven as a model to make sure that you could do these long cycles of heavy technology uh, lifts and do really radical technological uh, innovations. I think we, in a way, need to, to get a little bit back to that kind of VC and look into this history and see How were we able to uh, make all these really great uh, innovations in a time where capital wasn't anything close to the level of uh, availability that we have today? Uh, but still, uh, we were able to fund these things, and and that kind of mechanisms is uh, uh, is what we what we need to get back to, I think. And we also see some uh, elements of that, particularly related to uh, climate technology. We see this huge new green deal within EU and a new EU taxonomy, which is a really heavy regulatory initiative to to kind of channel uh, as much capital as possible into uh, climate technology. Uh, So we are, in a way, going back and learning from that part of the uh, history. But what I think uh, a lot of people get wrong when it comes to conceptualizing understanding where we are now compared to where we've been for uh, 100 years plus is uh, we still see this uh, new technology as part of an industrial revolution we heard this we hear this like it's the fifth or fourth or fifth industrial revolution when we uh, when we see ai or uh, uh or that kind of technologies uh, come into play I think when we do that, we do have a huge mistake in seeing this as just another new set of means of production in a way, industrial uh, uh, production. Because it's way more connected to, like you said, society uh, in, in general and, and heavily integrated into all the core institutions of society and affects everything from politics to, to the arts uh, to anything we uh, engage in. So I, I, I think uh, instead of it as an uh, industrial revolution, we should look more into the learnings we could get from the Renaissance uh, area when yeah. people started to travel around the world and and exchange goods from parts of the world that we had never explored before or uh, got input from uh, before. Or when ideas even uh, was able to travel because we invented books and uh, made it possible for ideas to live in other ways than just uh, in oral communication. And we also got a lot of new technology related to buildings and architecture and, and understandings of the human body and, uh, and medicine and, uh, and all these things and, and these things in combination looks like the situation we are in, in today where a lot of fundamental things are changing at the same time yeah. and, and what happens then? Uh, what happened at that time was that uh, the humans came back to the you kind know, of center of the universe and we were very focused on, on humanity. And, uh, and hopefully that we, that could be an inspiration for where we should go also uh, this time And we see all these really fundamental technological developments coming in from everywhere and also affecting uh, all aspects of our lives, not just uh, the production side of things.
0: That's when your academic philosophical theoretical <laughs> thing <laughs> put on fire and it'll be great.
1: So let's uh, hope we can uh, translate it into practical development. <laughs> Adding really great startups to the catapult portfolio.
0: So you hear so many pitches, Frederick. What makes one stand out over the other? I mean, I've heard so many times, yes, it's the leadership team. Is it the heart and the passion and the fire that you see that comes forth from from that leadership team? You know, what is the thing that makes you kind of go up and over the edge and feel like, you know what? Yeah, it's risky, but I'm going to do it.
1: It's actually the leadership team. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: uh, There are some fun
1: uh, and interesting dimensions connected to that, because uh, if you talk to uh, most of the VCs out there, they can talk for hours when it comes to new technologies. They can talk for hours when it comes to the development of new markets. They can talk for hours uh, when it comes to detailing out business models. But they all agree on one thing. The team is the most important. But uh, the conversation about the team is quite short. It's like, yeah, I liked him. He was inspirational, seemed intelligent. I got the feeling it was a great team. So the level and ability to really analyze uh, a team and the level the teams are are analyzed are in a very different kind of league than the ability to to analyze uh, technology. And I think that's a paradox. And I think... uh, One of the surprises uh, I've experienced when uh, I've been talking more and more with, uh, with VCs around the world is uh, how homogeneous and how little diversity we find in these uh, organizations and, and communities. And I think uh, that's actually related to that uh, same thing. It's uh, We have, from psychology, really deep understanding and research on teams on leadership, uh, on personalities, all the aspects that you find in a great founder team. But uh, it's not taken into account in the same way as, uh, as the more, say, more natural. If you are like me, white male from a technological background, hanging out with the same kind of people. And then, yeah, it's easy to discuss technology trends. It's not that easy to just discuss the psychology of it.
0: Yeah, no, so true. And that's a beautiful segue into what I wanted to um, take us next. And that is, I know that you've been a big supporter of, in general, and I believe you have two daughters, right?
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, So you've, you've been very, I I know, active or definitely a strong supporter of just of gender, of women, getting more women leaders and more women voices. Uh, Advice for that crew.
1: Yeah, uh, I could share an interesting experience. Uh, I headed up the Oslo Innovation Week, and uh, four years ago, uh, we had a total of 150 events for that week. And uh, we made this criteria that if we were to be part of that platform and, and organize an event, it was a huge list of our criteria. But one of them was that you had to have 70% female keynotes at your events. and then, the idea was if it's put that criteria maybe they'll manage 50 and then then uh, yeah, we reach the goal you would not uh even be able to imagine the kind of responses that we got all these tech heavy uh events that said this is impossible we'll not be able to pull out of uh we can't find the uh, that number of keynotes and then okay then we can't be part of the program and then eventually all of them ended up uh, or more or less all of them with some uh, some exceptions uh, were able to do that so It is possible, uh, and it's quite, I wouldn't say it's not even hard. And also from my my previous experience uh, and the investment uh, setup that uh, we have, we've done way over uh, 50% now female and mixed teams uh, investments. And also when you look at the results, it's, I don't know why really, but maybe they are more to prove, uh, and they prove more. So uh, it's doing really well uh, on top of that. So, yeah. We're definitely moving in the in the right direction. There are a lot of things that can be done. It's not that hard to do it. And um, still, I I always get surprised on why there's so little diversity in this space.
0: You know, I think it, it. You just said it. It takes a little longer. And I think you know, up to this point, we've been speeding along, and everything has to be well. I I can speak for the U.S. at least. Everything's got to be so fast and furious. And I believe that if we, uh, to me, there's a lot of money <laughs> and there are a lot of female founders and also people of color, those who don't usually get that kind of access to funding. And it's, it's not for lack of their presence. And maybe it's based on what you just talked about. There are some unknown biases that we have or questions that we have that we just need to kind of do some, maybe some more homework on it and kind of help it overcome.
1: Yes, but particularly when we, we want really creative new solutions to heavy problems, there's absolutely no reason to bring in homogeneous groups uh, or people because we we very well know that it's not the solution uh, and it will take us even longer to, to, to solve these problems. and. You don't have to look that much into the research to just get that's very well documented. It's like if you produce something that uh, are meant for the whole world and the production team is uh, representing 10% of that world, you will most likely not be able to create the best product.
0: And also attract talent or even keep talent. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Right? Your relevance factor. Especially now that we've got these five different generations working under one roof That whole shift, that cultural shift, the power dynamic, all of it, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out.
1: It's also quite simple. Everybody thinks it's more interesting to be in a place and to engage in a conference, um, take part in an organization or whatever initiative, if it's more uh, diversity in that group.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think if we take a look and we handle the notion of diversity from that broader definition of really the, the meta diversity of thought, the rest falls into play, or it certainly could. All right. Well, so in closing, what would be your call to action? Or as we say, the rebel yell, that you would urge people to jump in and take part? Because I know key to uh, Catapult in general, part of our philosophy is we believe inside every person is the change maker and every business is is a force for good. So what would you encourage people to activate
1: Either one of those. Yeah, I just read this overview on um, uh it was an analysis of three hundred of the seven hundred unicorns in the world. And um, uh there's one common trait that goes for all of them, and uh, that is uh, the successful founders. They've been not necessarily successful, but they've be this entrepreneurial mindset and, and founder mindset for some time. And uh what predicts success the most is uh, the history of previous attempts and it doesn't necessarily even have to be to start uh, companies it could also be be part of political uh, campaigns or communities and uh, but Trying to solve problems, get people with you, uh, um, uh, build change. As soon as you start with that, uh, or the sooner you start with that, the bigger the chance uh, for succeeding at a later uh, stage. So my recommendation would be for anybody, just get started. (laughs) uh, Engage either in a startup or in some kind of other entrepreneurial activities. And as part of the brain, you need to train and it will... Most likely also give you a more richer life and a more uh, fulfilling life. And later stage in life, you will be more happy with what you contributed to. And also, it's an interesting insight that uh, if you ask more or less anybody at a late stage in their life, uh, what they regret the most is all the initiatives they didn't engage in. So uh, we should learn from that.
0: Exactly. That whole notion of never trying.
1: Yeah. Get started.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take that (laughs) first step, and then the next, and then the next, and just go. Oh, my gosh. Well, Frederick, thank you so much for your time. I really, um, really appreciate it. And I'm so excited to see what you and the entire Catapult Accelerator group um, continues to do, both from a horizontal and also a vertical standpoint, but just from a system and in really instilling uh, intentionality into this next generation of not only tech founders, but tech unicorns, as we've now seen.
1: Yeah, I think we are really privileged in uh, having that uh, ability as uh, or possibility as well and engaging in that on a on a daily basis. So I also look forward to that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you, too. Thank you for inviting me.
0: This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with Ella Madei, co founder of 50 Years VC. We'll learn about the impact of patient capital in uncovering truly innovative solutions. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.